Oh boy, we just got another prior authorization email for patient Jerry Jones. Oh, this goes on all day long. I think my staff thinks they're not even techs anymore. They're just pharmacy agents. Well, we have to talk about these things, how expensive drugs are getting, about compounding drugs, and what are we doing about these darn pharmacy benefit managers here? We just really need to talk about specialty pharmacy and get behind the curtain. And today, Dan Richard, CEO of Meds in Motion, founder and pharmacist, allows us behind the curtain to talk about all things pharmacy on the podcast. Here at Entrepreneur, we're giving away 45-second free ads to eye care and optical companies that are independent. Fast Grind by Super Optical is one of those. They're your key to competing with big optical by increasing profit margins, providing exceptional customer service, and taking back control of your product. Fast Grind is the world's smallest and most affordable in-office lens surfacing system, producing digitally enhanced progressives, bifocals, specialty single vision, and more. Super Optical has been family-owned for nearly 100 years. Wow. Fast Grind was created by independent ECPs for independent ECPs and is an essential addition to any practice currently performing in-office finishing. Fast Grind is proud to be in over 50 countries worldwide and utilized by the U.S. military. Go to superoptical.com for more information or catch us at Vision Expo West. Welcome to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. I'm Dr. Raymond Brill with my co-host, Harry Brill, and we're here to bring you stories about Wizards of Eyes. Yes, what is a wizard, Dr. Brill? Well, these are folks that you may have heard about, may not have heard about. These are people who are actually very successful in doing what they do in all aspects of eye care. We're not talking to self-proclaimed industry geniuses, experts, masters, or gurus because we're talking to wizards of eyes that make it happen each and every day. They are out there working every day in the labs, on the road, in the practices, in surgery suites, making lenses, making frames. Yes, we want to hear these back-of-the-house stories about innovation, entrepreneurship, and make you feel excited to do what you do. We want you to be energized about the whole eye care field. And this is not your big optical program. This is done out of the passion of our hearts. Please go ahead and subscribe to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or your favorite app. Also, visit entrepreneur.com where you'll find our latest blogs and special video content. That's www.eyetrepreneur.com. Today, our guest on Entrepreneur is Dan Richards. He is the person who's in charge of Meds in Motion. And Dan is a pharmacist, and he has some novel ways of approaching how pharmacy can be dealt with today in our practices. Uh, we all know that we spend a lot of time, a lot of man hours or woman hours, on PAs, uh, prior approvals, and fighting this whole battle here. Dan's here to tell tell us how he can help us and our patients. Dan, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, this is a great topic here. Uh, I haven't heard anybody have a discussion about this. So right now, uh, we're in trouble with getting patients drugs that they need. So Dan, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're located, and why you started your business. Yeah, you bet. So um, Dan Richards, I started Meds in Motion in 2013. Uh, I am a pharmacist. I went to pharmacy school here in Utah at a place called uh, University of Southern Nevada, now Roseman Health Sciences. Worked at several chains, uh, the big box chains and whatnot, and then broke out and decided to do it on my own and have uh, worked about targeting a little bit different, going to providers and working through drug reps rather than just uh, trying to fill prescriptions as they come in the door. Okay, that, that's good. So you, so at one point you said, you know, enough of this, I, I could do this better. Uh, how did that decision process go? Because it sounds like an optometrist, there were optometrists in a lot of these chains. And uh, so tell us how you decided you want to be an entrepreneur. Right. The, the break point for me was we had a patient that came in, was a pain patient, but came in every single month with the same 10 medications. And every month they came in and we didn't have all of them. We had six or seven or eight, but they had to come back. So I had the light bulb moment of what if we just had what he needed? And that was kind of the start. And after that, we went, went and went and went. And long story short, it, you know, 18 months later, we opened a pharmacy. And then we started working with other providers and health systems and whomever. Uh, and the goal being to make that job easier and make the experience easier for both the patient and the provider. Now, are you a general pharmacy too? Are you open to the public? Correct. Yeah. So we have five locations. They're all here in, um, in Utah, uh, but we are licensed currently in 49 states, so we can mail across the country. What if I need it in Kentucky? Well, wait for two weeks. We're out of luck. Yeah, that was a job. We're, we've applied and are waiting for the government to say yes, but with you know COVID-19, who knows what's going to happen. Okay, so, uh, so you're in Utah. Nice. All right. Well, doctors prescribe similarly in, in similar parts of the country, I imagine. Is that right? Yeah, there's always um, some regionality to who likes what or um, coverage issues, right? Sometimes uh, different drugs gain popularity because they're on uh, Medicaid formulations based on where they are or whatnot. But all in all, uh, the, the prescribing habits seem to follow, follow trends nationally, yes. All right. Well, Dan, um, with COVID-19 going on, I know you're working with your uh, local government here on some stuff. Um, do you want to give us kind of a rundown what's going on? Are, are we close to finding some medication that's beneficial to treating? Yeah. So um, there's kind of this worldwide study, right? Everyone's, everyone's researching and, and lucky for us, we can share information almost instantaneously. Uh, most famous study right now is the French study with um, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin for patients that are intubated. Um, and that's been going, uh, that, that was a, a fairly well done study. A lot of it is anecdotal evidence. So patients that have been treated with chloroquine, treated with hydroxychloroquine have done well. Right now remdesivir by Gilead is being used as compassionate use for patients that are kind of that end stage, end of life. But uh, those, are, those are the main points right now. So of course, you know, those drugs are sold out across the world and it's just 
near impossible to find them, but we're uh, working hard to get them and keep them and try and get patients treated to not overwhelm the hospital systems. So I was thinking maybe we could scrounge some Plaquenil from our patients who are on a long term and say, hey, can you spare like five days worth? That, that's, see, that's the issue. About 10, I need what, about 10 pills, right? 10 pills, right? Two, 200 milligrams BID for five days. Surely they could spare 10 pills for us, right? And the hard part is now, now everyone's running to do that same thing. And then oh. patients that want it every day or want it for the rheumatoid arthritis have a hard time getting it. And so now we're in this weird situation of what do we do? Is this the answer? It's, is it the best answer in the whole world? No, a vaccine would be, but a vaccine's gonna take months to a year, but we're just not there. And we have to act now while the economy is just shutting down. I mean, you guys are on you know, lockdown now in your state and, and that's just gonna continue until we start to actually take action. Okay, so what's the usual dose for our arthritic patients for Plaquenil? They're just taking it once a day. 200 milligrams once a day? Yep. Okay. And uh, not that we plan on prescribing for that, but it's nice for general knowledge. So it sounds like we're probably going to adapt some kind of compassionate use for that, at least since it's, it's an easy drug, it's an inexpensive drug. How much does Plaquenil usually run for a month? Two weeks ago, it was a $5 generic. Today, it's probably a two to $300 generic, if you can find wow. it. I see. As soon as that happened, as soon as the president announced that, that he thinks that's the way to go, uh, it was gone. You, you can't buy it. It doesn't exist. It's not in the supply chain. Um, they're going to have to start making it uh, and remaking it, right, and cranking that out. But uh, the real world is we're going to need hundreds of millions of tablets to treat these patients, and, you know, and so we see these pharma companies that are saying, hey, we're gonna donate a million or three million pills, and that's great, and every bit helps, but we need, we need super, super high volumes. Who makes it now? There's a couple of companies that make it. I know Teva does. Uh, there's a couple of other generic manufacturers um, that are trying to ramp back up. And, and I get see. Oil. It's just, it's not as easy as just dump the powder in and go, right? It's usually a right. production line that has to be remodeled. So are, are patients freaking out and calling the pharmacy saying, hey, hey, I need to stock up? Or how are they reacting? Yeah, I mean, pretty much every patient that is a doctor or knows a doctor or has a doctor that's a friend says, hey, can you call this in for me? Because I heard. And we at the, in the state of Utah have asked them to stop that. Just we, we don't know if it should be or could be used prophylactically. And honestly, we don't have time to run that sort of a trial. So we need to conserve what we have to help those people that are at risk of ending up in the ICU. Because the real risk is if we get overloaded. If we have too many people in the ICU, then we just can't treat them all. And so that drugs to help them out. All right, well, I think that was a good discussion on, on uh, COVID-19 in terms of a pharmacy's standpoint. So it, it seems like every day we're, we're faced actually with our normal patient base. And I, I have a lot of dry eye patients. And one of the big problems with the dry eye patients is that we can't get those drugs without that darn BAK. And the BAK assaults the cornea continuously. So tell us about BAK and what you've done with uh, some of the ophthalmic drugs. Yeah, yeah, so BAK is probably the most common preservative in the eye care world. I would say probably every drug 
that was made uh, before the past two years has BHA in it. Most of those things are going to be, you know, all the older drops, the generic drops. Some of the new ones don't have it, but BAK has a dual mechanism. BAK is a preservative, but BAK is also kind of a driving vehicle. So what BAK does is it helps get drug delivered into the eye, but it does that via by a very, we'll call it a violent mechanism. It, it, it uh, disrupts a lot of the cell membrane, uh, can cause some cell death, especially in the cornea. And so um, a lot of, a lot of uh, ophthalmologists, optometrists don't love BAK, would like to avoid it if they can. Um, and so we've been trying to make drugs and, and compound drugs without it that are a little bit softer on the eye. Will that impair the penetration? Drug delivery is uh, minimally impaired, I would say, at best. Um, I don't know that it's enough to, to adjust dosing, and we don't have enough data yet to, to say how and where that is. So we're going to stick with kind of the, the same formulations that doctors are comfortable with, and then we'll collect data over time and see if that needs to be adjusted. Okay, so you, you do regular drugs, but you are doing some ophthalmics now. Right. And, um, and you're mixing what, just a couple of different ones, a, a cyclosporin version and uh, a COSOP version? Yeah, exactly. So um, we look at the ophthalmology world and say, where is a gap? Where is, where is there a need that, needs, that, that hasn't been met? Now, COSOP's been around forever. Um, and everyone knows how it works, and it's a good drug, probably one of the most common prescribed glaucoma medications that there is, but for the past year to two years now, it's been on national shortage. So intermittently, it comes on and it comes off. The pricing's all over the map, and so we decided, hey, and it has BAK, so we decided, hey, we're gonna do it without BAK, we're gonna put it uh, at a decent price, and we're gonna put it into the market. So. We just barely did that, and then our other drug uh, that we made is a cyclosporin, 0.1%, and um, we're trying to get that to work in, in a way that uh, makes it easy for doctors and for them to get done what they need to get done. Perfect. Um, so, Dan, would you mind kind of giving us a, a rundown to the business side of pharmacy? So, uh, our office is a stone's throw away from CVS. They make it really hard to get drugs. They always want PA. So break it down. What's well, happening in the corporate world of pharmacy? Should we be using independents? I know their independents are not around anymore. And also touch on, uh, on the PPMs. The PPMs? Pharmaceutical benefit managers. Oh, PPMs, yeah, yeah. yeah. Care, Caremark and yep, yep. such. Got it, got it. Why are these dang drugs so expensive and patients getting ripped off? So yeah. a lot of time. A lot to talk about. Lots to talk about. I'll try and condense it. Um, so um, there's a lot of layers in this. Uh, a lot of a lot of money's exchanging hands in a lot of different places. The PBMs take a cut. The pharmacies have to get paid. The uh, uh, insurance companies get paid. All these pieces. And what ends up happening is drug prices continue to rise because we're adding extra layers of cost. That's why compounding in the world of ophthalmology has started to come through as a viable solution because that eliminates all the, a lot of the cost layers. It's the compounder and the patient. And so there's not PBM and insurance and all these other pieces. But you've got all these brand new drugs coming out, but you don't have a lot of new technology. Do you not have a lot of new molecules, right? 
there's a lot of uh, reformulations of uh, cyclosporins and of NSAIDs and of steroids, but they're not really any new mechanism of action. And so when a PBM sees something like that, they say, well, why would I cover that? And they say, oh, well, you know, our, our new fancy bottle, our new fancy this. And they say, that's, you know, that's, that's the same thing. It's not any better than prednisone was 50 years ago. So I'm going to reject it. I'm going to require PA. You're going to have to prove to me that you need it. So you're going to have to show that you've used it before or used something else before and failed. And you actually need this. 200 300 500 dollar medication instead of this you know 20 to 50 dollars generic yeah they always make us go through step testing what's some of the step testing that really just bothers you dr brill well all of it bothers me because I, I would say that if you're if you're forcing my patient to step test something then that's fine step one give them the first drug for free step two give them the second drug for free yeah. and they'll be happy to step test it but for the patient who is uh, a little bit more like an inflamed eye and they've tried everything already, it's, it's hard to prove that. So, and I think we should be using the doctor's um, intellectual property and say, look at, I just need a stronger drug. So it may be on a, maybe on a, uh, a steroid basis. Uh, we've tried, we've, we know that we need Zergan. You know, because the patient has a rampaging uveitis, I'm not going to start trying them on, you know, a generic or there were generally, if we used Predforte, this is a time you would want to use prednisolone acetate with a small milled particle that we knew uh, Predforte had versus a generic uh, or a Predphosphate. So I'm, I'm trying not to get too technical here because that's going to be the limit of my knowledge. But um, but so we would say, okay, this person has got a serious inflammatory condition inside the eye. I can't use a weak agent. I need to use, let's say, I uh, mean, or actually not Zergan, sorry, Durazol. So we need to use Durazol. And then, of course, the pharmacy says, oh, they don't have that, you know, and you have to try something else. Anytime the patient is suffering, and it could be Zergan. We just, I had one up, so I had some on my mind. Uh, it could be Zergan for patients with herpes simplex. You know, and they say, no, we, we don't have it. And then you ask them if they have veroptic, and they said, no, we don't have that either. Plus, that has thimerosal in it. And we're like, no, we don't like thimerosal anymore. So, meantime, the patient's on day two, day three, day four, day five, and I just had somebody that stopped coming because he can't get any of the drugs. And I'm thinking, I, I wish you would, uh, if, I wish you would come. Of course, I put him on an oral antiviral agent, and I think that's working fine. But sometimes we just need these darn drugs. And even if in a, in a certain city, they said, okay, this drugstore has all the ophthalmics. I mean, they just stock all, all the time. So where one pharmacy can, you know, where the, maybe a CVS could say, this Walgreens does have it, you know, don't bother us with it. We don't make money on it. And it's going to be five days before we can get it. So it's very frustrating as a prescriber and for the patient. And then the patient blames us a lot of time. How come you're prescribing something so expensive? Uh, and they still think that we, we get a commission on it. When in reality, we can't get a $5 foot long and, <laughs> and we can't get a pen or a sticky note, okay? Well, the irony is they, that the pharmaceutical um, reps can, um, the pharmaceutical reps can bring in a lunch and learn for $200, but you can't go get a $5 sandwich. So, the, so there's a lot of public perception that we're making money on them and that's why it's so darn expensive. Uh, even if you explain it to them, they're like, yeah, 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 you make money on it. So very frustrating for patient and doctor. Yeah, 
it's tough because the insurance company is trying to dictate to you how to practice medicine. And that's what makes it tough. They, they have their, they'll call it their fiscal responsibility to try and manage cost, um, not understanding that, hey, you know, someone who's dedicated their entire life to this thinks that this is the best agent to treat that patient at that time. And that, that's frustrating. That's frustrating to all of us because we know, but, you know, they make us jump through all these hoops. And so we try and help figure out, is there a faster way or a different way to get through those hoops to get patient care in a better way, more affordably or more effectively? Hey, it's Perry. I'm sorry to interrupt the, the podcast here. I know you love to learn about drugs and pharmacy, but I have a question for you. Do you know what's better than my grandma's tacos? She has this, this seasoning, the, the cumin she gets. I think it's from South America, maybe Ecuador or something. Just so special. Um, she won't give me the, the source. And grandma's, I tell you. Anyways, what's better is my consulting business. And this is a very serious time, COVID-19. And we all are probably going to be off um, a total of two to three months. I'm no magic genie, but this is a time where you can make strategic changes within your practice. And I have a consulting agency. It's called I Rock It. E-Y-E-R-O-C-K-I-T dot com. And what my specialty is, it's creating a vibe within practices, bringing energy. You can hear the, the tone and the passion in my mouth. Imagine me in your practice, energizing your staff, cutting your cost of goods, fixing your frame line, stop you from overpaying for stuff, finding outlets in your medical area where you can make more money, cash profit centers. I know the tricks of the trade. I've been in the business eight years and you might have been in there 40, but the truth is sometimes it just takes drive and ambition and I have that. Please go to my website. And, uh, and read through all my pages. You're going to be get some free ideas on there. And I want you to contact me. Start a casual conversation. And uh, let me see how I can help your practice. When you go back, hopefully you have some stimulus money. And I'll take it from you. I I'm kidding. But seriously, I want to help any optometrist, optician, eye care professional within your business to help you grow it fast. iRocket.com. Let's get back to the podcast. Let's go over uh, couponing. Sure. So, you know, we have patients that have coupons, and even though they have the coupon, sometimes they can't get the darn drug. Uh, and I think, should they should they have said, uh, no, I don't have insurance, and go in there and say, no, look, I'm uninsured. Don't ask me for a card. Uh, I just got this coupon to get, to get uh, my Paseo for $10. I mean, how does that work with the coupons? Yeah, it, it's tough. So every coupon has its own little issue, right? And so the coupons, coupon utilization in America is only about 4% of eligible patients. Almost no one is using the coupons like they say, that, like, like they're advertised. And every coupon is different. So for example, uh, a company like, like Bausch & Lomb has a coupon that is for a Medicare age, Medicare eligible patient on one drug, and then on the next drug, if you are Medicare age, you are ineligible. So that makes it really tough, and it's, you know, unfortunately, it's read the fine print, which, you know, here we are in the world of ophthalmology, makes that even more difficult. Or optometry, we'll, we'll, we'll include optometry in there. Fair enough, uh, sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. Um, yeah. We, we don't want to be insulted, so. Uh, saying ophthalmology all the time. Just kidding. Okay, so 
So I think the pharmaceutical companies actually want us to use the coupons, don't they? And the PPMs are the ones that are saying, no, no, no. And the government says, no, you can't get a coupon if, you're, uh, if you have a Part D plan. Yeah, so, so the issue is uh, there's perception and there's reality. The perception is anyone who's Medicare age cannot use a coupon ever. Um, the reality is the law states you cannot use Medicare insurance and a coupon at the same time, right? So I can't bill Medicare and then bill a coupon. That is illegal. There are coupons that allow for you to bill Medicare. If it rejects, then you're allowed to use a coupon. So it's basically like cashing it out, but they want to verify that you didn't use your insurance. And there's others that say you can use, you know, you can do it as a cash program. And so unfortunately, there's no one answer because even within individual companies, there's different answers. What about things like um, GoodRx and other programs out there? You know, are those worthwhile? Are they gimmicks? What's your experience? Those companies, stuff like that, um, it, it basically keeps you from getting really ripped off. Um, so like if you're going to go buy, we'll, we'll say prednisone. And prednisone prices fluctuated, but let's say the pharmacy bought it for $25 and they're going to sell it for $50. Uh, it would, would be the normal, right? But if you go to a big box, they're going to say, hey, prednisone's $150. And you go, oh my gosh, no. I'm going to get this GoodRx coupon and, and it's going to say, oh, well, GoodRx made it only $75. I saved 50%. As a consumer, I feel like that's amazing. I got a great deal. But if I went to a local pharmacy that had the capability of saying, hey, I'm going to charge you a fair market price, it actually would have only charged them $50 and they would have saved more money still. So my advice for the average consumer is, find someone, find an independent or find someone local that has flexibility because they don't want to rip you off. Some of those, uh, some of those other companies, they don't have the capacity or the flexibility. The pharmacist can't change the prices. So they have to say, this is our cash price. And if you bill your insurance, it's this price. And if it's cash, it's this. And that's just what it is. So are there independent pharmacies left? Oh, for sure. There are. Uh, it's getting tough, right? Because on the other side of the coin, we've got these PBMs that are trying to squeeze money from both sides and independents are, are kind of caught in the middle. Um, they, they want to help people and they have to make money at the same time. So they are becoming fewer and further in between, uh, but, but they're still there. So let's say, um, do some of the PBMs go to Allergan or Bosch Shalom and say, well, if you want to be the preferred drug, it's going to cost you $500,000 or $300,000 or is there some back-end deals like that? Oh, every drug is back-end deal like that. Um, so, and it's not based on a, on a, a total check, but rather a, it's called a rebate. So they'll go, to their, they'll go to a PBM and say, hey, we want to be the number one preferred drug, right? First line, no PA, no steps, just we want, we want to be the drug. And they'll say, great, that's going to cost you a 40% rebate, meaning every time that drug gets dispensed, through that health system, it, the, they write a check to the PBM for 40% of the cost, right? And then you've got the employer carrying a piece of the cost, and then you've got the patient carrying a piece of the cost. So all of a sudden, you know, uh, these PBMs are just making money on, I mean, billions of dollars on rebates. Right. So, so Dan, I understand you, your goal as a pharmacy is to save doctors time and staff time. 
we see it all day long. The fax is coming in and it's quite ridiculous that we still have to deal with fax and phone calls. You think uh, everyone would have something more automated. How can we save time? Tell us. Saving time is understanding process, right? And, and I'm not going to try and plug myself, but I'm just going to say um, it's understanding going into it. Can you, if I write this drug, what's going to happen? If, I, if it goes to an independent that understands it, it can get through and we know a price is going to be X. If it goes to a big box, it's probably going to get rejected or have a PA or whatever, and or they don't know how to use a coupon. Um, and so it's, it's partly that. Another is integration with pharmacy. So um, one thing I'm going to bring up to all of you optometrists as well as ophthalmologists out there is the idea of therapeutic interchange. Now, this is a state-by-state rule. But a therapeutic interchange is essentially a hierarchical order on how you prescribe. So if my number one drug is drug A, but if that's not covered, B and C, uh, a lot of phone calls are wasted back and forth. Me calling you, Dr. Brill, to say, hey, I know you wrote for this. Uh, It requires a PA. I know that you'd rather have, if it requires PA, that you want to switch to that. Is that okay? You say yes, and we do it. Um, A therapeutic interchange is a document between doctor and pharmacy that allows us to do that without all the phone calls. So you would say, here's my order, here are the drugs I want, here are the limitations, here's the why, and then we can execute on that and we report back to you to say, oh, you wrote for drug A, we had the substitute for drug B, right, because it was a PA or it was not affordable or whatever it was. So we establish a protocol. Right. A pre- prescribing protocol or paradigm. So if we, if we can't get... Uh, Lodamax, all right, we'll, we'll decide for, um, you know, for a more uh, like a fluoromethylone. Right. Okay. Right. If we can't get a fluoromethylone, then we'll go for a, a different drug. So and you would know that in advance. Right. So by a, by a prescribing it, protocol. It's on you, right? It's not, right. it's not a pharmacist choosing. It's you say, here's what I want and here's the order I want it in. So it's automated. It's in some type of portal. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, yeah, you can have a document or a portal or a whatever. I see. Depends on it. Depends on their technology, right? Some people can build it in, and others just say, "Oh, what does Doctor Brill say?" He says, "If not A, then B." Okay, so that's one benefit of going with an independent like yourself. Yep. And why? How come the big box haven't implemented something like this, or have they? Uh, logistically, it's very near impossible, and it is, and the therapeutic interchange agreement is between. In, it's to, between provider and pharmacist, not provider and pharmacy. So you can't make an agreement between Dr. Brill and CVS. You can make an agreement between Dr. Brill and pharmacist inside CVS. Yeah. That, that's kind of a, a rotating order. It, it becomes logistically impossible. So I have a question here. So obviously um, you're shipping to 40, 49 different states. How does should a tech or a doctor talk to a patient about uh, having something shipped. Uh, we're all used to getting things shipped, just not drugs. Right. Um, until Amazon hops in the game. Right. Which, which is happening. Is it? Yeah. It, it, it yeah. Pill, they, and you have something similar, like they, what they have advertising, PillPack? Yeah, PillPack. So PillPack is just a, a dosing technology. Um, we have the same technology, comes out in a strip, organized with all your doses in it. But they can't do that with eye drop unless it's a unit dose. Right. And even at that, it's, it's impossible to do. It, it, it will never happen that way. Um, so we ship, basically, it'd be a normal prescription. It, it comes in almost like an unmarked padded envelope. 
So you wouldn't know the difference between that and an Amazon package, except for ours, ours looks more boring. Uh, it doesn't say pharmacy. Uh, I don't even know if we put a return address anymore on it. Um, the idea being, we don't want it to say, hey, there's drugs in here, look at it. Uh, but super, super common practice, right? Mailing medications. Uh, mail order pharmacies account for hundreds of millions of, of uh, mailings a year. Yeah. Not uncommon at all. How quickly you know, can you get something uh, to someone's house? Yeah, I mean, it really depends. We usually, our, our, base, our base is just via the postal service. So uh, we say three to five days, depending on where you are. Obviously, live in Utah, it takes a day. You live in, you know, uh, the far reaches of where we are, it, it, it's three, four, and five. Um, but the idea being, we are not the acute solution. Like if you have someone with uveitis and needs to get treated today, you don't want it, right? We are, we are your glaucoma. We are your scheduled surgeries. We are your dry eye where, hey, you know, I've been taking dry eye. I've been taking tears and I'm going to do cyclosporin. Great. It'll be there in five days. You can live till then. You'll be fine. And then we start to track them. So rather than you call me and say, hey, I squeezed the bottle. I ran out. What am I going to do? I got to call Dr. Brill who's on vacation. It's no, hey, you know, Perry, it's, it's day 25. You're going to run out in five days. We're going to send this to you. Are you good with that? Yes. Cool. Done. Eye drops especially are a hard one because it's easy to count 60 tablets and say I have five left. Bottles that you squeeze and go, oh no, I don't have any more. Now I have an emergency. Now, do you have bottles? This might sound strange, but do you have some soft squeezy bottles versus hard squeezy bottles? Or because you know some of those patients that are older, older than me, uh, you know, even on the unit dose, they have a hard time with the unit dose unless it's a squeezy. Uh, I don't know if there's a better way, more elastic uh, <laughs> dropper, dropper. You know, because they have a hard time. They don't know. And then they squeeze too much. And now you got four drops in the eye. And I'm like, shoot, there was only 60 drops in that, you know, in that Chinese made uh, eye drop. And, and while Allergan may put 85 in there, now they're getting 60 because it's generic. And, they've, and they're, out, they're calling you in two weeks and say, I'm out of drops. You say, wait a second. We gave you a sample. Plus, you have a whole bottle. Nope, out. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, especially the unit, the unit dose stuff gets really hard because it requires another level of dexterity as well, right? To pop that top off and make sure you get it in. Um, our bottles are probably similar to the, the one that we, we saw earlier with the testosterone in it, the, the, the skinny. Uh, are they the softest bottle in the world? No, um, but you want it to be a little bit rigid because if it's too soft, you're going you're gonna to have that same problem of getting three and four and five drops, right? So you have to get a little bit of pushback so they don't over, overextend. Uh, for the listeners, um, I was showing Dan uh, a bottle of uh, eye drops, uh, custom made for testosterone 0.05% by a uh, compounding pharmacy, so. That was probably a small bottle just to be on the up and up, right? So we're all. Right, it was a 15 ml bottle which was probably a 30 ml bottle and half full. So um, yeah, that, and that is, uh, it's, it's difficult for the public to, to know if they got things in. And sometimes they don't even, they even know if they got them in. So we tell them, just go ahead and refrigerate it. And that way, at least you'll feel that it's cold because we don't want them to not get it in. And then we don't want them to get too many in. And then we do like punctal occlusion for, for many of the drops. 
So now we have a patient who uh, perhaps never did punctal occlusion, and we have a dilemma. Do we add another drop? Do we keep instructing them how to put drops in? I mean, is it an ineffective drop, ineffective in administ administration? Uh, so it is complicated for the prescriber, too. For sure, yeah. So to know, are they, are they just fibbing and they think they took it and they never took it? Anyway, all, all those things, all the doctors always have to, have to deal with. So, all right. So, so let's say I'm at uh, Hoops Eye Center. I'd be able to get those drops really quick, right? In Utah? They're in, across the street, actually. They're across the street. Are they? They're a, a stone's throw. Oh, okay. We, we just did a, a Christmas program for them to motivate their doctors. So we're, we're good, well acquainted with Dr. Hoops. He used to be here in Kansas City. Anyway, I thought I'd throw out a name, so I figured he might know him. Okay, so all right. So on the dry, let's deal a little bit with dry eye and glaucoma. So how do we how do we know which ones we should actually go out uh, uh, away from the pharmacy uh, as far as dry eye goes? I mean, should we try the coupons first and try to get them, or make our lives easy? And are you able to, to figure out the coupons and everything? Yeah, I mean. Usually there's this, there's this kind of uh, two-layer approach, right? Uh, and there's this life cycle to drugs. When, when a new drug comes out, like Sequa, that's out now, um, they'll have what's called a guaranteed price. So you can get it one month for $90, $90 and three months for $180. Uh, but then you get drugs that are further along in their life cycle, and they say, you know what, we've got pretty decent coverage. We don't have to give this drug away anymore. So you'll, you'll notice with stasis, has still has a coupon, but it's just not quite as good. It's uh, I think two hundred and fifty-five dollars off, but you're talking about a drug that costs five hundred and thirty dollars. So when it doesn't work, you're you're still in the three hundred dollar range. And so you know you you kind of have this you know if if then if it's covered, then it's going to be probably in that zero to thirty thirty-five dollar range. If it's not covered, and it's an older drug then it's gonna be probably uh, two or 300 bucks. If it's not covered as a newer drug, you're usually gonna have a set price. And you'll, so you'll see over time, that's gonna change, right? Those, those, those coupons will get less and less effective as coverage goes up. Right, so we just have to go with the flow on it. Yeah, you go with the flow, you figure out, you know, every Medicare patient that requires a PA, either it's gonna get covered or not, or here's the price, and then, some docs say, you know what, I'm tired of that. It's not worth the time to do it. So we're going to go ahead and turn that off and switch, right? All right. So we, it's on a one, it's one by one basis there. Yeah. So are you able to just compound um, perhaps some other eye drops that we would like different formulations uh, on a, I guess, on a one, one, one by one basis? Yeah, I mean, so compounding is unique in that we cannot compound something that is commercially available. So we can't compound the exact same thing, right? So if okay. you, I want this. You have to change the strength or something. You have to either change the strength, uh, have a different drug mixture. Uh, in the case of like our uh, dorzolamide and timolol, we changed the preservative, which is, which is significant, right? Because there's, there's actual uh, benefit there. Um, but yeah, it cannot be just copied. So it's perborate? Perbor sodium perborate, yes. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sodium perborate is known as the vanishing uh, preservative. So it, it 
when it, it comes in contact with the ocular surface, it breaks apart into the perborate and the sodium hydroxide molecules and then dissolves into salt and water. So is that boric acid in another form? You, that Now we're getting into organic chemistry. Okay. Um, I do not believe so. Okay. Because you used to put boric acid in everything. Yes. Which, by the way, is very good for killing ants. So. <laughs> There's your tip of the day. Huh? There's your tip of the day. Very good. Yeah, like uh, warfarin's good for killing rats. There you go. So, okay. All right. So, um, okay. So let's go over, I don't know if it's okay to say Impermess, but it seems like Impermess has kind of mastered the post-surgical combination drops uh, to the dismay of all the brand name manufacturers. So we actually try to support our, our pharmaceutical reps I think if we're asking for samples, I, I'm obligated to also prescribe uh, so I could give samples, which is kind of nice. That saves patients money, but I can't just ask for samples and never prescribe anything. So we respect our, our uh, pharmaceutical reps, and they, I think they add a lot to uh, staff knowledge, and they add a lot to you know, just our ability to practice and help patients make sure that they get something that we know that it works, especially on the glaucoma drugs. But Impermiss has seemed to like violate that respect and is going for pleasing, pleasing the patient, pleasing patient, creating, comp, uh, I guess, combination drugs. But then there's a question, are they as effective also as the uh, trade name drug? I think there's some discussion about that. Yeah, there's discussion about that. And, and you know, just to define, Impermiss is a very unique pharmacy. They're, they're considered a dual license. So they're 503A and 503B. 503A would be considered your normal, traditional retail compounding pharmacy where you write a prescription, we fill that prescription for an individual patient. 503B is you, the doctor, can buy uh, a case of, these drops, and then you can dispense them. So that there's there's a little bit of differentiation there. And so um, what they've done is they they've kind of made this kind of dual track. One of it is yes, we can just fill prescriptions for patients. The other is hey doc, here's a potential additional revenue stream. Oh, I see. So the doc, I'm feeling naive about this now, but in Kansas, we uh, the doctors cannot act as pharmacists. We can't sell the drugs. But can the ophthalmologists generally sell those uh, PMNs and PGBs and stuff like that? Yes. So as long as they've been used in office use, then they, they include cost there. So there, there exists the potential as a revenue stream for a, for a practice. So that may, be all, that may actually add a uh, source of conflict in there where, where the ophthalmologists would say, look at, I mean, we're going to take it cheaper for the patient, but we're also going to make some money on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a very interesting dilemma because it could be good and perceived as good and bad, right? I don't think the government likes that very much, do they? I mean, they don't, they don't want you to be profiting on prescription drugs. Uh, 503B is its own thing, and, and it's got its own rules. And, so I, and I, am not, I am not the expert, so I'm going to throw that disclaimer out there, but 503B is a different set of rules than 503A. Uh, and, and so that, that involves uh, bulk sale to physicians. I see. Okay. They're essentially acting as pharmacists. So, uh, okay. All right. Uh, Perry, do you have some wrap-up questions? 
Um, maybe you could leave us with some kind of words of wisdom, how we can just do better in practice. My thing is always time. You got to look at, you got to look at the efficiencies of time. And so I would encourage you or, or encourage really any practitioner to look at how uh, not only their time is used, but how is everyone else's time used? How, how are your, how are your receptionists and your service people and your technicians, your MAs, all these people, how are they using their time? And if it's filling out PAs that aren't getting approved, then we need to look at why are we writing that medication, right? Even though it is the best medication or, or the, 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 the game changer medication, if it's not covered or it's too expensive, then we're all wasting time. So we got to think about our time within the office and then we got to think about our time as a patient, right? So when that patient goes to a big box store across the street and they tell them, hey, wait for 45 minutes and they come back 45 minutes later and say, we don't have it, we'll have it in five days, we wasted a lot of time there too, right? So establishing a relationship with a pharmacy um, anywhere really to say, here's my prescribing habits, let's make sure we keep these things flowing, can be monumental to a practice not only them and their patients saving time, but making an experience, right? We're thinking about a customer experience. There's, there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of competition in your field and there's competition in my field. And if we can create a holistic, complete patient experience, um, those patients are going, not only going to come back, but they're going to, they're going to be your referral source. They're going to say, went to Dr. Brill, awesome experience, got what I needed, you know, no, no hiccups, just in and out. Sounds like a five-star review to me. Amen. Just like the reviews on this podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> well, sounds good, Dan. Um, so if our listeners want to reach out to you, ask you technical questions, business questions, or perhaps become uh, a Meds in Motion account, uh, how can they get in touch? Yeah, super easy. So uh, website is medsinmotion.com or you can hit me up on my email, uh, my personal email, really easy, Dan, D-A-N, at medsinmotion.com. And we have a bunch of different eye care stuff, and, and I'm happy to, happy to geek out on all the drugs. And for my Ortho-K friends, um, I ask you to uh, start making some atropine variations. So um, if people want something, and, and there are enough of you, enough of our listeners want that, would that be something you'd be perhaps interested in taking up? Yeah, absolutely. We, we make things, we have to make things in batches since eye drops are sterile. Uh, and there is a set cost for uh, the sterilization process. So if I make 10 bottles and it's $100 for sterilizing, I got to add another $10 to that price. If I make 50, then it's only $2, right? So the economics are when we have that demand, it helps everyone. Yeah, it's a burgeoning uh, area where sure. people, uh, there's a few different concentrations, maybe two or three that are the consensus. And uh, we could talk further about that, but I think it's nice for our, our uh, colleagues to know that they have more than just one place to get it. Awesome. So, okay, all right, very good. Well, we didn't leave those folks out. And they're very passionate ab about uh, progression of myopia or myopia prevention. And uh, a lot of those are excellent excellent docs, and they also do generally a lot of other stuff too. So, all right. Um, well, Perry and Dan, it's nice to have you here. And thank you for all your experience and distilling it down so that even our listeners and myself and Perry will, will understand it. Sometimes there's a lot of gibberish. You can't get straight answers. You certainly provided a lot of straight answers for us. And thanks for talking to us about 
COVID-19, which hopefully 10 years from now, somebody listens to this, like, what the heck was COVID-19? <laughs> so, and we won't be on COVID like number 35 or something. <laughs> hey, it's Perry. Uh, the podcast is over. Uh, a lot of that was way over my head. So thank you, Dr. Brill, for fielding the questions that you went to school for and uh, studied up on past school. Anyways, I need you to leave me a five-star Google review out there. I know a lot of you love the podcast and you listen every week and you don't tell your friends. Well, this is the time that you need to leave a review so we can work together better. Everyone needs to hear this content. If you're loving it, you're going to have a friend who loves it. So go on to to Apple, to Spotify, anywhere you do it. Put the five-star, give me a little thumbs-up emoji so you'll love it. Thank you so much. This brings us to the end of another episode of Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. Go ahead and click over to our website, entrepreneur.com, or head over to Facebook to join our special Facebook group, Entrepreneur. See you there.